When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. Alongside my executive producer, John Seymour, also known as the Seamaster, I am your host, Tim McKernan. Thank you for tuning in as we broadcast live from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Today's guest, I would say you would have to put him on the hashtag Mount Rushmore of St. Louis area uh, radio show hosts. I would think you would have to. I don't. I don't. I, I think that's kind of a layup, but. Maybe some people would, would, would go, well, no, I would put this person and this person and this person and this person. I don't know. It's, it's, it's subjective. But I would say if we were to pull, if we were to turn this into a family feud style segment and say, name a top St. Louis radio host, I would imagine Dave Glover's name would be right there. Uh, and Dave Glover has been hosting a show at uh, 97.1 FM Talk here in St. Louis. Uh, for 17 years, same time slot too, same radio station. And as you'll hear in the course of our conversation, um, I'm, I'm envious of his stability. Uh, now, I, I suppose I go back to 2004 with the Ryan Kelly morning after, but I think we've been at 622 different radio stations. He has been at one radio station uh, since 2000, which is a credit to him and his show. And his show, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, uh, I had a number of people in our audience who listened to both our show and his show say it reminds me of our show in the morning um, with just kind of how it's all over the place and it's just people BSing about topics. So I uh, I know Dave. I don't know him real well, but uh, I certainly know him and I like him. I respect him. And, uh, and I wanted to make sure we got together, uh, with him. Cause it seems to me, it's like when Frank Opinion, who is just absurdly talented and doing afternoon drive on uh, 590, the fan KFNS here, uh, it, it, when he came in and did essentially what was like a podcast on the Ryan Kelly morning after you're just like, God, this guy can tell stories with the best of them. I knew that after having the Frank Opinion experience, the Chris Kerber experience, that Dave Glover was likely going to be a hell of an interview. And sure enough, that's exactly what wound up happening. We sat here and I told them we would go an hour and I probably could have gone another hour, but I told them I'd go an hour. So I didn't want to keep him past an hour. What, 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 what about we wind up going, by the way, Sea Monster? You always uh, have the number. I don't, I don't you don't know. 
You don't know. We know that Jay Randolph Jr. and Kerber dueling along with Gary Pinkle for the for the longest, but I know that I tried to keep Glover to around an hour. But we could have sat and talked forever. His story um, of how he got into radio, uh, I knew he was an attorney, but I didn't know how he got into radio and, and, and how you have this moment that had it not happened, the whole world changes, both, of course, for Dave himself, but for the St. Louis radio landscape. You'll hear that. We also get into what they talk about in the show. A lot of uh, 97.1, of course, is political, but he doesn't view his show as political, even though they do talk politics. And you'll hear his perspective on that and how he navigates uh, the landscape that is talking politics in 2017. And uh, also our opinions on the radio business, where it is heading, and uh, our experiences uh, all kind of uh, rolled into one hour-long conversation, which I think, I'd like to think, you will enjoy. Dave Glover is absurdly talented, great guy, very smart, hilarious, and uh, that is why he has been as successful as he has been. So that's what we have on tap for you here today on the Tim McKernan Show, which broadcasts from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. The HomeLoanExpert.com, very proud of their Hero.Loan program. Buying a home is the American dream. No one deserves to achieve that dream more than the men and women who have served our country. Our American veterans and military personnel have earned that right by protecting it for the rest of it. Hero.Loan is the new VA loan program, making it simpler and more affordable for veterans and military families to get the home loans they deserve. Now, the Hero Loan is not just another VA loan program. The HomeLoanExpert.com team spent a year and a half developing the Hero Loan program with three goals in mind. Streamline the home loan process, taking the hassle out of qualifying for and getting a VA mortgage. Deliver the best mortgage product of its kind to our customers, along with an even more personalized loan experience and make financing or refinancing a home more affordable for those who've already given so much, our veterans, military personnel, and their families. I actually had a chance to talk with Ryan Kelly of thehomeloanexpert.com uh, about this whole process, uh, and man, the, the passion he has for this. You know, I, I realize, don't get me wrong, giving back is a huge part of a lot of successful businesses, but this guy not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. And that's why he didn't just want to roll out a program. They actually customized it uh, for veterans. And that's why uh, they took the year and a half to do it. The HomeLoanExpert.com has brought the new way to VA with the Hero.Loan. The Hero.Loan can close in as little as 14 days. There are no out-of-pocket costs, including no appraisal costs. They meet with our heroes of this great country face-to-face and take care of all the eligibility paperwork. You have to call Ryan Kelly at 314-781-9700. Ask him about the new Hero.Loan or visit HeroLoan.com, the Home Loan Expert, LLC. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dave Glover on The Tim McKernan Show. Dave, when I told people we were going to have you on, so many people were fired up about it because they love your show. I guess they see a similarity between our thing in the morning and your show in the afternoon, although I think your show is intelligent and ours is it's a, it's a moron factory is what it is. I don't know. Factory. I've always described my show as smart people being stupid. You know, like uh, I remember over the years getting email like, hey, I love the show, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the bottom, it's like the CEO of Boeing. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. And, and my show, it's been 17 years now, has evolved so much. Like I, I, I started out... I started out doing 
horrible legal advice. You know, they hired me to be a call-in lawyer, which was a joke. I was a terrible lawyer. And uh, then it turned into a straight-up comedy show, which was really very avant-garde and dirty for its time, um, sort of like what Woody and, and Riz do over, you know, uh, 105.7. Right. And then in 2009, we went to the PPMs, and the ratings went in the shitter. And Jeff Allen, my boss, was like, okay— now you're going to do what I want you to do. You're going to do politics. I'm like, oh, God. So I did heavy politics for a couple of years and used to fill in for Glenn Beck nationally and all that. And then the ratings came back in a couple of years later, and I was able to start doing what I— And so now I feel like I really get to do what I want to do. Like, on any given day, I just talk about what I want to talk about. Sometimes I want to talk about politics. Sometimes I want to be stupid. But at least now what you get is what— I really want to do, mm-hmm. which wasn't always the case. So when you started out, though, it was it was a comedy show, and was it on 97.1? It's the only job I've ever had. I started out PM Drive in a top 20 market. Like, that was my first job, October of 2000, and it was, I think back then it was 4 to 6 p.m., and it was a straight-up legal call-in show. And I did this for about six months, and my producer back then, Tom Turbrock, so I was the only one in— is a room about like this mm-hmm. at a table with one mic and uh, and no electronics. So we can cuss on this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's free for it's encouraged, my actually. My very first show, my very first show, I'm terrified, terrified. And we had Dr. Laura was on the station back then, and she had a big thing going on with gay people. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll talk about that. There's a good topic. So I'm talking about it. My very first phone call, guy calls up, and he's like, yeah, um, really enjoying the show, Dave. I have a question. If I'm gay, do I want to take it in the ass or do I want to give it in the ass? And this is on the air. This is on the air because I have no dump button and my producer was out talking to someone and not paying attention. And he goes on for about a minute. Like into great. So what are you doing while this is going on? Dying. I'm just dying. <laughs> That was my first. That was my first like minute on the air. Oh my god! So, yeah. I, what, 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 what was your response, by the way? What's yeah, your official, right. what's your right. official position? Exactly. I'm like, well, if you're double you got to pick one. Yeah. Right. Oh my god! So, but but you started as you made reference to as an attorney. Yeah. And I don't know how many people. I'm sure people your loyal listeners are well aware of that. But for those who are familiar with the show. You actually, and you went to law school, and I was doing my attempt at due diligence, right. but it was on a bet? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've, everything I've done has been on accident, pretty much. So no one in my family had really been to college. We were very working class. My dad worked at Shell Oil. He was a carpenter, and I was going to go do something there. And the day before I was going to go work with my dad, I got a call, and I was offered the very last scholarship. Uh to play sports at SAU. So I'm like, okay, well, let's put this off for four more years. And so I did that. <laughs> and then I was... What were you playing? Um, what they really paid me to do was run track. Um, I was fast. But then I also had to be like a tackling dummy for other sports. Like they're like, look, you're never going to see a game. But we... So like with the soccer team, they would have me you know, run fast behind the defense and see if they could catch me. But I would never got to see a game. Um and so then I, I, what the hell am I going to do? And I have always been a musician playing in bands and some drunk guy was taking the LSAT back in God, 1987. And so they bet me like a hundred bucks that I could take it cold and do better. And I did. And I did. And even though I had like a, literally like a D plus GPA, I only missed a couple questions on the test. 
And uh, it's funny because Wash U loved that. Wash U, where I went to law school back then, loved a story. And so they thought I was this, like, country bumpkin genius, you know, like, this guy's got a D-plus GPA and only missed it. So, they so thought they, you were Will Hunting. Absolutely. So they gave me a scholarship, and I went to Wash U Law School. How about that? Yeah. So you're at Wash U Law School, though. I mean, yeah. you're not, like, just kind of dicking around. <laughs> right. you know? I mean, you're at Wash U Law School, but yeah. you're saying you weren't a good attorney? Is that what you're saying? Well, I or was— you were, Or you were bad giving legal advice on the radio? No, the I, I learned a real-life lesson there because uh, I was smart enough. I just hated it. And so I came out of law school, went to this big silk-stocking law firm— Literally within the first week, they sent me to live in Alaska, working on the Exxon Valdez case. Oh, yeah. And so I was up there, you know, off and on for a couple of years, and it was just a giant party, and it was great. And then I came back, and I was a real attorney, and it sucked. And I got fired three times uh, over the 10 years. One of them, my favorite firing, was I worked at this big firm, big enough to have its own uh, newspaper every day. And it was called Dicta, which is a legal term for something. And I had an underground newspaper like The Onion called Big Dicta. <laughs> and when they finally fired me, they're like, you haven't really justified being here for a couple of years, but we just love the newspaper. <laughs> so I was always just sort of hanging on by the skin of my teeth just from being funny and likable, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, in, I was doing live endorsements with Stephen D.C. back in 97. And uh, where was Stephen DC on at that time? God, I think probably the country station at first, and then they went over to K Hits. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, uh, and so you were representing the firm, giving advice essentially as like a live endorsement. Is that what? Yeah, I mean, it was my. I got fired so many times. I was down to just employing myself. Okay, so I was just on my own in this little. Uh, shitty office in Clayton, right. and uh, just I literally hand to mouth. Like every ounce of money I had, every penny went into advertising. And then it was just like praying to God enough people would call. And I could, it's like going to the casinos. Wow. But I would do, they'd have me on the show, you know, like once a month or something. And they liked me and thought I was funny. And so in, in 2000, October of 2000, I went to take my now wife, then sales rep uh, to lunch. She was my girlfriend back then. And I walked by the conference room. You've seen it at, at MS Communications. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Steve and DC were in there. They're having a meeting about putting 97.1, my station, on. And I walked by and, like, flipped them off or something like that. And Steve Shannon walked out and said, would you want to do a radio show? Because they, no, they had no one. They had no money. They had no talent to put on this FM news talk. It's only the second FM news talk in the country. And I said, yeah. And they said, could you do it for free? And I said, Sure. And John Beck, who you know, oh, was yeah. standing there with uh, Patty McMahon, our like uh, financial lady, and she goes, "No, no, no, no! Glover owes us like ten thousand dollars in advertising, and he hasn't made a payment in months," which was true. <laughs> and John Beck says, "Oh, how about this? Every day you stay in the air, we'll take a hundred dollars off your bill." So I was like an indentured servant. God. Yeah. Oh my God. And that's how it started. So if you don't walk by that conference room, it never happens. it never happens. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Since it, it literally just didn't chill up my spine, just thinking, yeah, if I don't go take Maureen to lunch that day, I have no radio career. Holy shit. So you think you're still practicing law, or do you think you would have bailed? <sighs> I, don't, I, I, can't, I don't know what I'd be doing, but I can't imagine it would be that. Did it, you hate it? Or, I or, did. Just, you're I hated it. Money, or? I'm not, I love to debate, but I hate to fight. Yeah. And it was just constant, shitty, bickering fighting. Yeah. You know, um, 
and, and I, yeah, I just didn't take to it. I didn't like it, which meant I wasn't good at it. And I spent more time covering my tracks than actually yeah. doing anything. And so when this came along, and then at about the six month mark, about this, probably about the six month mark, they were going to fire me because I was terrible on the air. And I caught wind oh, of it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, I was doing a legal call-in show and it was awful. So who, who is your, who is your, obviously John Beck is, is, yeah. is the market manager, but who is, you, who is your direct? Same guy, Jeff Allen. Oh, Jeff Allen's been there. That, yeah. God bless America. How about <laughs> that? that? A, a story that they love that always hurts me. But <laughs> well, then share it. Unlike the first, in the first week, John Beck was with his wife in uh, in Seattle, and he's at the top of the Space Needle or whatever. And Rick Bayless, who was then my boss's boss's boss, calls him, and he's just moaning into the phone. Oh God! Oh God! And so John Beck thinks like one of his kids has been hit by a car, and he finally like Rick, what is wrong? And he's like, it's Dave Glover. He's so awful. He's <laughs> John. He's just so terrible. And uh, <laughs> so about six months go by. And I heard through the grapevine, I'm going to get fired. And I'm doing a show. No contract? No. God, no. <laughs> no, no. So I'm doing a show at St. Louis University Spring Fest, and they put me in the wrong place. I'm like a mile away from Spring Fest. And I'm panicking. I'm telling Tom, you have to get me out of this. And he's like, I can't. So I said, fuck it. So I just did what I thought was funny. And I did sort of like this Letterman ripoff, the whole like just being stupid and silly. And that literally is what saved my job is that they all thought it was really funny and people calling in and going like, this guy's really funny. And it, the, the real show kind of started from there. And I never did legal advice again. That was it right was there. It. So six months in, about six yeah. months in. And at that point, how many people were on the show with you? Because you have a crew Just now Tom. at that point. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Tom may not have even been with me then. I mean, he was my producer, but I don't think he was even in the room with me. Yeah. And I am not. I have all the respect in the world for the Rush Limbaugh's and Sean Hannity's of the world who do a show by themselves with a mic. I know. I'm not that guy. I'm not either, man. Uh, I no. couldn't do it. It would, it would bore me. But then I feel like you could stumble into getting into saying something just for the purpose of getting a reaction yeah. to help carry the show with yeah. calls or whatever. I think to do that kind of show, let's face it, everyone who does what we do has a certain amount of ego and bravado just to assume that anyone's going to give a shit about what we Absolutely. say. Absolutely. But to do up. that, you have to really think you have a message, which I don't. I, I, I don't. Um, I don't feel like I'm any smarter or that I can tell people what they should do or what they should think politically or religiously. I'm happy to give my opinions. I'm happy to work through the problem with the audience and the guys on my show. But to do that, you have to feel like you're some sort of uh, evangelist, yeah, which I, I never saying. have. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. Yeah. I, I'm curious. So you're six months in. You think you're getting fired. It, were you of the opinion, like you were self-aware enough to know that you weren't enjoying the legal profession, you were covering your tricks? Were you thinking, because as you know, I'm, I would imagine a lot of people in our business, hell, maybe we are some of them, think they're really good, yeah. but— we know right. from doing it that they're not. And right. sometimes we have to either say, no, you're doing fine, or go, hey, man, you might want to switch yeah. professions. Were you under the impression in 2000, 2001 that you were good? Or were you starting to hear that you were and starting to realize this might have a future? Both. Uh -huh. um, I was under the mistaken belief that I was good. <laughs> and I remember it distinctly. I remember really feeling like, oh, man, I... I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame one of these days, and I, I can't even listen to, like, my first three years. I can't do it. 
it's like watching you be in a junior high play or something. It's, it's my voice is two octaves higher and I'm scared shitless. Um, and I always say, like, there's no one worse uh, than someone who's had some success for a short period of time. Like, I've had pretty much everyone I've ever wanted to meet, Hollywood stars, rock stars, come through the studio. And I'm sure you found this. The more famous they are, the more money they have, the longer they've been famous, the better the chance they're just a guy. That's true. That is interesting. Oh, I've never yeah. thought of it that way, but now that you mention it, yeah. Because they have nothing to prove. Yeah. You know, like, from my generation, I had, like, Night Ranger come in. I was just like, oh, my God, it's Night Ranger. And so I do the interview, and they're like, hey, we're going to go get Subway. You want to come with us? And I'm like, yes, Jack Blades. I'll go have Subway <laughs> with you. But then you have a band come in who has one minor hit or someone, and I've, I've watched it. I've watched people come through my station and, you know, in the building. Right. And if they've had a show for six months— you can smell it on them. Yeah. They go, and maybe it's just a necessary step that they feel like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a genius. And then, and I remember the moment. I remember the moment when I realized just how incredibly lucky I was to have this job, to have this budding career back then, and that I should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> what, and, and some people learn that lesson and are well served by it and a lot of people don't yeah. especially in our business Absolutely. like we could both go through the names of people who had if they would have been able to just cut off the top 30% of their ego would still be doing this it's a strange thing that that goes on but i've yeah. also found and now this is specific to sports talk specifically i don't know if it applies to across the board but it sounds like it may when i think of the shows that are successful in sports talk specifically i guess at this station jim hayes doug vaughn frank Cusimano, martin kilcoin Charlie Marlowe, and I'm not intentionally leaving anybody. I'm just rattling off the, the lineup here. It's like it's low maintenance when Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell, rest in peace, were alive. Right. Low maintenance. Yeah. They did their job. There was never any BS. But it's oftentimes like the hangers-on who are causing shit. And I don't know if they yeah. do that because it's a behavioral thing or if they're just trying to get attention. I don't yeah. know. I think there are two kinds of people. There are... <sighs> I'm a, I'm a weird, quirky guy, no doubt about it. But I'm not a loud, obnoxious... Uh, attention whore. I'm very quiet. I'm pathologically shy. I'm always the, the quietest guy at any table, but I'm a performer. And I have a brother uh, who passed away back in 2002 and a sister uh, who's 14 years older than me. They were both uh, much funnier and much smarter than me, but I just got this weird performance gene, um, like the WB frog. And <laughs> But we, we know people who've made it in radio or television for a while because they are just legitimately obnoxious. Yeah. But the problem is you can't turn that off. They, they can't, they can't turn it off when the mic goes off and they've never made that connection between the business of radio or television and the, the creative side. Oh, and that's something yeah. that I've always been able to do is to understand, okay, I could do exactly what I want to do creatively for another month and then I'd be fired. That, that's the thing. Cause you get that. And, and, and I hope that I'm not, because I'm going to pay compliment to Rizzuto and, and the crew there in the mornings, uh, Frank Opinion, who's been doing it for years, your audience, and I'd like to think the morning after audience, and again, I'm not intentionally or unintentionally leaving anybody out. That's just what I think of. Like, it doesn't matter what station me or you were on, our crew, right. our shows, yeah. they're going to follow. Just like with Frank Opinion's yeah. crew, they followed him, Rizzuto and his crew, they, wherever they go, they're going to follow. But part of that is also because of the advertisers, and you speak to the business of it. And when I was at KMOV as an anchor, and I'm 25 years old, I have Emmys and Edward R. Murrow Awards, and I'm thinking, wow, here I go. And then I sit down with Alan Cohen, and he goes, I can do a 3% raise. 
And I'm going, but I just won and right. best sportscaster in Edward R. Murrow. He goes, it's all I can do. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, what are you going to do, motherfucker? You're yeah. 26 working in your hometown. Absolutely. And there's 200 people who would die for your job. Yeah. And then I go, God. And then I remember Julius Hunter left and we were number one in the ratings, the next book. And I'm going, if doesn't matter, and that's not a shot at Julius Hunter, it, the point being, if it doesn't matter if Julius right. Hunter is here, it sure as hell doesn't matter yeah. if my ass is here, right. but it matters I'm certain to John Beck and Jeff yep. Allen, if you go, you know what? I think I'm done because you bring dollars yes. to the bottom line. I remember back when I was an attorney um, and and people talking about, I'm like, what does this guy do? The guy in the corner office, he's, I've never even seen him in court. Like, no, he's a rainmaker. He golfs with people and he plays poker and he goes to PTs <laughs> and he, that's why he's senior partner making a million dollars a year. And like, I understood the words, but it wasn't until I was doing this, I understood what that really meant. And a funny thing happened. I've, so I think I signed my first contract in like 2003 and then every three years since then. And it's not a secret that I've, I've done really well. And, uh, I was, I was doing a contract a few years ago when the ratings weren't so great but I was still doing a shit ton of live endorsements. Right. And so Rick Cummings, who's the president of the company, flew yeah. in and he was having a shitty day. He admits it. And he had a piece of paper and he said, just like we're sitting now, and he goes, this is your deal memo. I could black out your name. I don't need to know who you are or what you do. I just need to know how much money we're going to pay you and how much money you bring in. And up until that moment, I had been really emotional and romantic about Emmis because they gave me my first show and it's the only place I've ever worked. And other people had tried to hire me away and I wouldn't leave because it was like a girlfriend. And at that moment, something snapped her. I'm like, oh, this is business. But it was a great thing for me because since then, although I have a great relationship with them and they're my friends, I always remember this is business. Absolutely. It's and, uh, and And he said... We would not be paying you this amount of salary unless you did all this advertising. And I remember, I remember going to them back in 2000 and saying, I want to do, I want to do a live endorsement. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for that. So then I did like two a day and then five a day and then 10 a day. And then I went to this crazy, I went to 20 a day. And, uh, and so now I do, I think it's 26 lives a day. Oh my God. Every 3 PM to 7 PM. All yes. right. And you know, my wife is a former sales rep and she's like, the most impressive thing about your show is when the more advertising you do, your the ratings dip. It's always been that way because people don't want to hear a bunch of, you know, live endorsements. And it just never affected the show. The only thing that affects the show is with the new rating system, the PPM is just like the luck of the draw. You know, like whenever they change the people who get the meters. So, so, so people know, this is my understanding. We don't even have to worry about it here, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, uh, that and is I don't, nice. But, but in the whole scheme, of, I don't know if, how much you really have to worry about it either. It's, it's certainly more material to your life than it is mine. Yeah. But the rating systems, people get people meters and it's like a thousand for the 3.2 million people in St. Louis. It's, it's a, literally a thousand. Am I right on this? It's, it's about a thousand people. My understanding is they have about 50% compliance. So 2.5... <laughs> million people in our area and about 500 people. So I think I have about 16 to 20 people that have meters and that's a huge show. Like I've been number one all year this year and I won't be because it'll change and I'll drop to number five or whatever. But 
All it can tell you is who has a big show and who has a little show. Besides that, it'd be like the four of us playing poker. And you're a better poker player than me, but I'm going to catch a flyer now and then. Yeah. And so in the ratings, they'll sh they'll reshuffle and they'll take your meter away and they'll give it to someone else. And if they listen to Frank Opinion, suddenly he goes up and looks like a genius and I go down and look like an idiot. Yeah. It's 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 just the worst. Which is why I like looking at streaming stats, mm -hmm. podcast stats, but the number that only matters, and this is the thing I say to when like a 20-year-old at Missouri Journalism School emails me about getting into this, they never talk to us about the business yeah. of journalism at Missouri. Now, I don't know about Northwestern or Syracuse. My guess is it's also idealistic there yeah. as well. And the business is what matters, and therefore what matters is your clients, those 26 that's clients, it. are they getting a quantifiable return on investment? And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. And and to me, that is also the best gauge of do you have people listening? Because if I am doing a live endorsement for Weber Chevrolet and six months later he hasn't sold a car, it doesn't matter if the ratings say I'm number right. one with 300,000 people listening. All Skip Weber gives a shit about is, is he selling any cars? Right. Yep. And if the ratings say I'm number 12, but he's selling a car a day, there you go. When did you know you had what you clearly have now. Did it take, because you've been on the air for 18? 17 years. 17 years, okay. Yeah. You know, gosh, it's a great question. Probably, continuing with the ratings, probably when I went number one the first time, which I think was in 2004. Here's another interesting story, my Forrest Gump life. Um, back then, it was the diary system, which we'd had for 50 years, and people just basically, just literally put pen to paper. And I went on the air. And you would get sent like $5 in cash. Yes, yes. What in the world? But so, this is what happened. People don't know this. So I went on the air and said, look, quote unquote, I don't give a rat's ass how much you really listen to this show. If you are involved in the ratings, I want you to say you listen from three to seven. Draw an arrow and say you listen the whole time. And the next book, I went from like number 12 to number one because I cheated. And the people cheated for me. And I actually got. I thought that's like a violation. It is okay. Because I still have a. I have it framed at my house. I got a letter from the guy from Arbitron, who wrote the rule, and he's like, "Here's an example of what you can't say. You can't say I'm Dave Glover and I'm on from three to seven, and I appreciate you. It's something really innocuous. Here's what you said, and then he, he just like it's all capitals and stuff. Uh, but there is no real consequences. They didn't like delist me. Or it was just like it was just a slap on the wrist. But then I was number one every book for six years after that until the PPMs came out. So it just, it like I became number one the first time by straight up cheating. And then it sort of stayed. It's it's funny that you say this because Frank Opinion, I imagine you guys know each other. I I've don't know. I've never met him. Is that right? I I've had never, never met, met him until a month ago, like yeah. two months ago, for real. Yeah. Uh, he says the I say the same thing, you say the same thing, and he says the same thing. Um, about the rating system. Yeah. And then people go, God, it's funny. I was listening to Dave or I was listening to Frank and they, they, they say the exact same thing. Yeah, I'm you glad say to about hear it. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anyone who's been doing this long enough and has their ego in check will admit that. And, uh, you know, like I said, this year, 2017, I've been number one. Before that, I was, say, number eight. So I was better than number eight then. And I'm not as good as number one now. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, but I, I'm so jealous of you that you don't have to deal with it because I get bonused on it. And the sales people, like literally if in the ratings, like if I'm a 0.9 or if I'm a 1.1, it means hundreds of thousands God, of dollars of difference. Amazing. That's so sick. Yeah. 
and and so you just like you know you're it, it's so crazy because you're just like living and dying with a number that you know means very little, <laughs> and yet it dictates how you feel so about your much. day and your yes, show. Absolutely. With, with the show, how would you describe the show to somebody who has never listened to it? I think the best description. It's a lot like your show. I it's like I always think of it as happy hour. That I have, uh, Rachel Zimmerman is my producer now. She's been on about a year and a half. Tony Colombo, who's been in radio probably five years longer than me. He was on The Point and yeah. The Mall and Red. And Mark Close, who's a radio legend, radio god, who's been on for 45 years. That's my crew. So every day, I didn't bring it in with me, but every day my show prep fits on one sheet of notebook paper. And that's my show prep. And I get to half of it during a four-hour show. Because I'll plan on talking about this, but then I'll just open the show and I'll, I'll see like, I'll be watching, looking at the TV above, the, you know, my head and it's the pillow guy. And I'm like, God, I hate the pillow guy. And <laughs> Hey, this sounds like my show. Yeah. What and the hell's then going there's on? an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's what it is. And that's what I like. Those are the shows I like personally as a consumer. I like to listen to really interesting people have interesting discussions. Yeah. It sounds really stupid, but there's not much of that out there. It's either like honk, honk, hit the tambourine, stupid shit, um, dumb stuff, in my opinion, or it's just, here's another reason why Obama's stupid. Here's another reason why Trump is stupid. It's like a lot of the political guys, I can write their show for them. I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to say. I, yep. And to me, that's incredibly dull. So that's the thing. So people with 97.1, they think of it as a conservative talk and it station. Is, besides me. Then that's what I was about to say. But that, yet, that, there you are. Yeah. It's like WFAN in New York, sports talk station, but Imus was on Morning Drive. Yes. Try being a moderate agnostic. Uh, which I am on 97.1. That's exactly what I am, and I didn't know you were. Yes, which is very <laughs> Christian, conservative, Fox News. Um, and i that's one thing I'm, I'm proud of myself because I lived in fear. It's like coming out as gay back in the 80s. But when I said on the show, um, yeah, I'm an agnostic. And uh, and why did you fear that? And when did, when did you say this? By probably the way? three or four years ago. Oh, really? So this is fairly recent. Yeah. Okay. Um, because for years we we talked about religion a lot. We still do. We have the priest and the rabbi segment, and I I am semi obsessed with religion. Um, but that's why I'm an agnostic, not an atheist. Is that I don't know. Mm. And uh, but I feared it because I just viewed our audience wrongly as just being monolithic. You know how it is in radio. You just picture your audience as like one person. Yeah. And they were very Christian, very churchy, very judgmental. And once they heard that I was an agnostic, they would be like, oh, you're dead to me. And I'm going to call all of your sponsors. And people, I think if you're honest with people and you fall on your sword and you just tell them the truth, they cut you a lot of slack. And so I've spent 17 years doing that. And so... Uh, when you don't try to hide things from them, they don't feel the need to go digging. And when you tell stories like I do about like shit in my pants as an adult, you know, <laughs> things like that, people tend to kind of go, oh, he, he's okay, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. And I don't judge them. I don't say, I don't believe in God and you're retarded if you do. I don't say that. Yeah. I say, you have something I don't have. Some, you you have an, an extra gear or you're missing a gear or something, but we're different. And, uh, but let's talk about it. Same thing I do in, in politics. I just, I don't, everyone thinks, no one says like, you know what? I'm super extreme. Everyone thinks they're the center of the bullseye. 
uh, or you'd think something else. That's just the nature of being a human being. But to me, I just call balls and strikes. And like with Trump, sometimes it'll be a strike. Like, oh, great. That's fantastic. I support that policy. And other times you're like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) But then there are people, political pundits, who feel that they have to call every pitch a strike. I know. Or every, or every pitch, pitch a ball. ball. And I hate it. Is I there anybody? Because I get people, occasionally will ask this, whether it be over Twitter or in our text inbox or whatever, who is it or what is it that you feel like you can watch or listen to God. where you feel like you will get that with somebody calling a ball or calling a strike but not doing one or the other? All the I don't time. know that it exists, which is crazy because you would think that people like us would— there would be a great national appetite for people like us who are, and I hate that moderate is such, you might as well say pussy, you know? <laughs> and I hate that because it's just the ability to chew gum and walk at the same time, to hold two thoughts at once. Uh, that not everything is yes or no or black or white or good or bad. There are different shades of gray and you can be honest about it. But there seems to be no national appetite for that. You either It's either Rachel Maddow or it's Sean Hannity, yeah. which I think is really unfortunate that people, uh, unless they really seek it out, and I don't even know where you would seek it out because a show like mine or yours, which are goofy shows, but you're also going to get some honest political discussion. But it's discussion. It's not screaming at you and telling you you're, you're stupid because you don't think this or that. Is there a politician, whether it be present or past, who you look to and I go, I admire him or her? I really looked up to that. You group. know, honestly, it would be Jim Talent, who uh, former senator here who does my show once a week. I, I really pushed him uh, to run for something again. He's one of those guys. He's a very religious guy, but he's someone who I think is honest and has integrity and isn't a bomb thrower. Um, and I think that's probably why he's no longer in politics. Did and you, does he have an appetite to get back? In no, 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 not at no, all, really. No, he does a bunch of think tank kind of stuff and consulting, and I think he's really happy doing that. We had uh, Jack Danforth was one of our, the first guests on this show, and he said it was his opinion that there would be an appetite for somebody like him, for example. Mm-hmm. Not that he was saying that in some right. self-indulgent way, but that kind of message. Uh, and I said, well, I feel like in a way Kasich tried to take that approach yeah. and he was always on the side of the stage and it didn't yeah. resonate. Now, maybe it was the lack of personality that people felt like inspired them. Do you think that there would be a, essentially a, 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 in a subliminal backlash to what we have seen right. over the last however many years? You would think logically, mathematically, there almost would have to be because nothing stays relevant and hot for long. You know, there's, we have such a quick, voracious appetite that it's just like we just shove shit in our mouth and then we <laughs> look for the next thing to eat. And so whatever's hot right now isn't going to be in three months. Um, and so identity partisan politics have been really hot for a really long time. Um, so you would think that people my age, I'm 53, and people my son's age, who is about to turn 23, would both kind of go, it's like eating nothing but cherry pie every day. Like, eventually you're like, I'm going to puke. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. And you would hope that people would gravitate to more of just a reasonable, rational person who has the balls. That's what it takes is someone who has the balls to say, uh, I am strong for defense and I am a backer of, of the police and I'm pro-choice, which usually don't go together. Right. And you can't say that because as soon as you say that, people are like, I'm done. You're dead. Um, But it's going to take someone like that or someone on the other side who says, 
you know, I'm you know, I'm pro-life and I'm this and I'm this, but I also think that and then some conservative kind of view. Hopefully you're enjoying this conversation with Dave Glover. Uh, I know I enjoyed conducting it and I think Dave enjoyed doing it and hopefully you're enjoying listening to it. And if you do, as you know, the podcast, of course, is free, but the reason it exists is our sponsors. And so, therefore, please, uh, in order for us to continue doing this, we need to continue to have sponsors and we need our listeners to make sure that they go out of their way to do business with the sponsors when they have a chance to. And so in this case, it's not like I'm talking about going out and getting a specific product that might have a unique market. Everybody needs insurance. And therefore, I wholeheartedly recommend James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency, a state farm insurance agent. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, go to his website right now and go check him out at carltoninsurance.net. You can call James 314-961-4800. And he very well may be able to get you better coverage and start saving money immediately. In fact, he can often include $100,000 in life insurance without even increasing your payment. The switch is easy. They do all the work for you. It just takes one phone call or to apply online at carltoninsurance.net. And the thing is, is James prides himself on this large staff he has. That's why I went in there and met with everybody and I see what he's doing. It's to stand out from everybody else. There are plenty of insurance agents, but what's the difference? Well, he has a huge staff to make sure that you have personalized service. It's a very important service. And James Carlton goes out of his way to make sure that his is second to none. 314-961-4800 or go to carltoninsurance.net. People do business with James because they like and trust him. And you can check out those reviews on Google and Facebook and see it for yourself. I'm always fascinated why people are so excited about getting insurance. Well, it's because the service is that much better. And that's why James is having the success he is. He does it better. His staff, they do it better. It's James Carlton. State Farm Insurance Agent, the James Carlton Agency. You know, I, I was reading, uh, and still I'm in the process of reading, it's not exactly a thrilling read, but I wanted to read Hillary Clinton's What Happened. Yeah. Have you read that by chance? No, just like excerpts and things. Yeah, and and, and and you just made reference to the tent having certain compartments, and if yeah. you aren't in the compartment, you can't get into yeah. the tent as a whole, and she was making reference to pro-choice. Mm -hmm. And as I'm reading it, a lot of it felt like and I voted for her. I wasn't thrilled about it, uh, but I, I could not vote for Donald Trump personally. Uh, so it was a reluctant vote, unlike previous votes in my life. And I felt like a lot of the book was a, was a lot of excuses and yeah. a lot of blame. And I felt like as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, this is one of the reasons why yeah. you did not yes. win is because you're still not connecting even after the fact. I've always said Hillary Clinton seems uncomfortable being a human. She just it's like she's like she's an alien and she didn't she only studied one night on how to be a human. Like she just doesn't seem good at it, you know, <laughs> um, whereas Trump seems like a drunk human <laughs> he, he, he's just constantly like fuck it you know and she always just seemed like so calculated and like now i'm going to pretend that i am this um yeah what a crap election oh how did you handle it how did you how did you handle uh, of course i'm curious what it's like now but how did you yeah. handle it in 2015 and then 16 it was interesting. especially being on the station you're on oh yeah it was interesting because when 
when Trump first announced, we did this thing where we were like, okay, percentage chance he's the nominee, percentage chance he wins. And what were you saying? And it was zero and zero. <laughs> it was, we all agreed, zero percent chance on either of those things. And so, uh, you know, we all kind of lived through it together and it just kept progressing and progressing. And then on election night, like I go to bed early, I go to bed at 9 p.m. every night and I was up like everyone else at 1 a.m. watching. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. I was just shocked. Now, I was like you, but the other way around. I voted for Trump in a very like, oh, God, I can't vote for Hillary Clinton, um, but this guy scares me, but I, I don't want to just not vote. Um, and then since then, it's been, whew, God, it's like your favorite uncle being nuts, you know? And, and so that's how I feel like... And I feel that way about a lot of conservatives. And I said this on my show the other day. I feel this way about a lot of conservatives on air and off. If you wrote down what you believe in, I'd probably check nine out of ten boxes. But I just don't like you. <laughs> like, I'm a musician, comedian. I wear bracelets. It's like I should be liberal. Um, most of my friends are liberal. But I'm not liberal. I come from a very Democrat union family that were very political. Um, and thus my being a moderate because I, I'm an agnostic, so I don't have all the, you know, Christian social, right? church kind of social deals like that. I'm very libertarian when it comes to that, you know, wear what you dig, do what you want to do. I don't give a shit, marry who you want. But at the same time, get off your fucking ass and go to work. And of course we need a strong military. We got this guy shooting missiles at us. And I tend to think most people are sort of like me, but they, again, it could just be like confirmation bias where we all think that. But I remember like three years ago, we did this thing called an evening with 97.1 and it was me and Jamie Allman and Dana Lash. And so we're at Maryville University selling 500 people and we all do our little shtick. And at the end, it's, it's like a Q and A. Right. And someone says, how do we win the next election? So Jamie says something and Dana says something. And I go, well, you just have to get more votes than the other guys. And I think the way to do that is just to have a bigger tent. And I got booed. <laughs> like no my own, way. Yeah, my own audience was like, that's bullshit. So what was the reason for the booing? Because they don't they didn't think a big tent was the way to go. Like you 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 don't need to expand. You need to like be stronger and and more like pure. Wow. I yeah. actually am surprised hearing that. I'm sure you were I surprised because you were all getting booed. I was too. Holy shit. Yeah. So now that it's happened. What is the show like on a daily basis regarding President Trump? I, f I feel like we're the balance to the rest of the station because uh, on a lot of the shows, it's very pro-Trump to the point where it's like, wow, really? Like, because either they're right and he is an absolute genius and when he tweets things out like Mika Brzezinski's facelift was bleeding, it was for this Machiavellian, I'm playing three-level Spock chess, and no one sees what I'm doing, but I'm over here doing deregulation. I hope they're right, but I don't think they are. I think that he's like most successful, smart people who I've known in my life. They are very uneven. I know very few people who are really good at something who aren't really shitty at other things. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of what he is, you know, where it's just like, <sighs> I think he's really smart. His policies line up with the things I like, 
But then he just fucking says things, <laughs> and no one, no one seems to be able to have any effect. I've had I've had a few people tell me they think it is like a meta play, like I'm going oh, to act like I don't know what the absolutely. hell I'm doing, and I hope so, they're right, so I can go over here and yeah. do this. Yeah, no, I hope they're right. But you don't think there's? I don't think so. There's any? No, I'm a big believer in like Occam's razor. You know, it's whatever's most likely to be true, and I think it's much more plausible that that like all of us. He is an imperfect, uneven, textured human being. And while he may have some brilliant mathematical business mind, he has social troubles in just being quiet. And uh, I remember back when I was doing a much edgier, dirtier show, uh, this is probably like 2004 or five. Jeff Allen telling me, if you just lopped off the top 25% of your dirty, no one would miss it and you'd have, you'd be much more successful. And of course, I fought that. But looking back, he was right. And I feel like if Donald Trump were to do the same thing, just lop off the top 25 percent of like the crazy tweets and all that kind of stuff, you'd be much more successful. But the people who are 100 percent in on him disagree. Like they love it. So they he do. is completely playing to his base. When when you talked about the, the, the dirty in the early part of your career. I look back like like you. I'll mm-hmm. hear some stuff from 2004 or five. And I go, oh, my God, I'll oh. it off like what a fucking asshole (laughs) and i guess in 10 years ago what a fucking asshole (laughs) in 2017 but my influence no question about it i make no secret of it was howard stern yeah it just it just was and i would imagine for a lot of people in radio it was who are you because but but you weren't looking to go into radio i was looking to be the cardinals broadcaster right that 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 doesn't look like it's going to happen so (laughs) i didn't i didn't have any i mean i grew up listening to st louis radio and i heard Stephen D.C. and I'd heard Frank Opinion and Guy Phillips and all this. And so I remember saying something shitty about Guy Phillips. This is probably two years into my career. And because I thought that's what you did, you know, like, you know, Stephen D.C. were always taking on someone at KMOX. And so I was going to be that guy. And I was like, what the fuck's up with Guy, you know? <laughs> and then I met him and he was a super nice guy. Yeah. And so I went on the air the next day and I'm like, I'm a dick. And, and I said... I shouldn't have done this. Anyone who can make their living doing this deserves my respect. He does a different show than I do. Frank does a different show than I do. It's not like we uh, people eat one thing uh, kind of food. People don't listen to one kind of music. Why do I care? Right. That, but that's just that's just maturing as a human being and as a broadcaster. It was almost like radio dogma that you pick a fight with the other top so person stupid. in the in the time slot. And now I see. So, like for example, Jimmy Fallon, I think, or Colbert, one of the other was on Stern, and Stern was talking about how he would he could never like like the competition, right? And Colbert's like, no, I'm friends with Jimmy, and yeah, I like Jimmy I agree. Kimmel, and I and I and that's how I view. Like with Bernie Miklas, I guess, quote unquote, he's our competition. But if you like Bernie Miklas' show, the chances of you liking The Morning After are pretty slim and vice versa. Sure. It's just you do yeah. two different things. I always say Bernie serves pizza, we serve burgers. Yeah. And yeah. it's cool. If you feel like you one pizza, God bless America. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like the guys over at 101 recently in the ratings, they're number one and I'm number two or I'm number one and they're number two. Randy Carricker, Brad Thompson. What a bunch of great guys. Mm-hmm. If I weren't on the air, I'd probably listen to them. And And I don't know. Again, it's just maturity. That if if you have to, if the if the most interesting thing you can do is pick a fight with someone, eh, you're not that interested. But the strategy is, for example, a few years ago, I don't know if you're monitoring this. You fortunately haven't had to deal with this shit. You've been at one place for a good long while. 
Uh, I'm like a, a gypsy. Uh, but uh, we had uh, uh, Dan Marshall came into the KFNS and turned it into 590, the man in 13 of the one. I remember sure were, that. I'm sure you were very impressed and bullish that. on that yeah. working out when you heard that. Yeah. Surprisingly, it didn't. But they were bringing in Bubba the Love Sponge. And so immediately what he does, he starts calling into our show while on the air to try and get me to put him on and then take the bait. And it was like level one poker. I'm like, right. yeah, I'm not going to put him on. And then Tommy Mattern over yep. at Emmis, I was talking with him and he goes, yeah, they're doing the same thing. I think Woody was still there yeah. at the time and Woody would want to put him on and get into sure. it. And Tommy's like, don't do it because all he's trying to do is pick a fight. So you talk about him and then expose him to your show. Yep. It's a strategy, yep. but also some form of radio dogma. Yeah. And, you know. In life in general, crazy usually wins, and but it's always short-term that I have people in my life, family, friends, clients, whoever, who are really demanding, and they'll get what they ask for right now, but I'm probably not going to go out of my way to do something extra. And so I think the same thing works with that, that if that's who you are, that's your strategy, is I'm going to call, the, I'm going to do this or whatever it is to fuck with someone else who you're competing with, it'll work for a while, but it's not going to work long term. Yeah. Who are you going to call next? Yeah. I remember when Bubba the Love Sponge, way back when, was in trouble because he sliced a pig's throat out in the parking lot during his show and it bled out. And I remember hearing that. And I was a baby at this. And I remember thinking, what do you do tomorrow? <laughs> like, if that, you know, like, if that's who you're going to be, like, you got to tune in because I'm unpredictable and crazy. And if I tried to do that for a while, it wasn't very long because I just realized I can't I can't sustain this. I can't be the Republican pundit because I can't sustain it. I can't be I'm the craziest, dirtiest guy because I can't sustain it. Someone will flank me and be crazier and dirtier. So I, I just did what seems like a really brave thing, but it was really just process of elimination. And I was just me. Yeah. And just talk like I talk off the air and related to people and that was about it it's and it's clear it's obviously worked incredibly successfully you mentioned that you've had other opportunities i would imagine some of those have been local i would yeah. imagine some of those have been national yeah and i'm certain that you probably don't want to get into details on to where some of them were but what kind of thought process went on when you were considering whether or not to, to leave i guess a combination of 97.1 and then also potentially yeah. leave st louis yeah i've had every time my contract's up i get calls from people locally um and then Probably in about 2005 or six, I had an offer from Seattle um, to take over from Stern when something happened. Yeah. And that was right before my daughter was born in 2005. And I really wanted to take that one. There was a bunch of money and it was Seattle, a bigger market. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I didn't do it. I think it's just mostly like with a baby coming. And then I had another one in Atlanta when my son was still in high school and it was the guy said he kept making offers kept making offers kept making offers and he said okay i've never said this before blank check you fill it in you tell me what you want and so i i basically tripled my salary and he said okay and uh so i went in to tell emmis and rick cummings once again yeah. said we're not going to add a dollar to our offer because you're not going to go you are not going to leave. Oh, man, that's a nice poker hand. You're not going to leave your son, Nick. We know you. You're not going to do it. He has like three more years of high school. You're not going to leave. And I had obviously considered that. But when he said it, I realized he was right. And so I, I, I Jedi mind shit oh, there I on the part of Rick yeah, Cummings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh my God! So is that? I mean, is that you're kind of like, all right, I'm 53, yeah. I'm here. That's that's is that where you are? Yeah, you know, I had one opportunity to go national years and years ago, but they wanted me to do 90% politics. And once again, it's going to make me sound really brave and lots of integrity, but it was really just more selfish. Like it was a big shit ton of money, but I knew you better save that money because you won't make it more than a year because this isn't who you are. Right. I, yep, I you know, exactly it's like, you know, it's like, it's like being in a, like, it's like being in a new romantic relationship and the girl is like a sexual deviant and you're not. You can fake that shit for a month or so, but then after a while, you're like, I'm tired of paddling you. I, I can't pee one more time. And so that's what I felt like. I'm like, look, I can fake this for about a year and then people will see through me. Is there a national show that's similar to what? I don't think so. You do? I, that's the thing. I don't I know. I don't think so. And I remember making it up. This guy's name, he was Kevin Kitchens, I think. He was the head of Premier Radio back then. And I met with him, with Glenn Beck, and, and Kevin said, I love your show. I listen to it when I'm just doing my work. I can't sell you. He's like, to, to be a big thing nationally, I have to be able to sum you up in a sentence. This is he's the Republican guy. He's the gardening guy. He's the sports guy. He's like, you're the everything guy and you're the nothing guy. And I just don't know how, how I would sell you. God. And then maybe he was right. Maybe he was wrong. But, you know, it convinced me that, that yeah, maybe you're right about that's that. That's an amazing thing. But I sit there and I think about it. It's like, I don't know how I would describe your show. And then yeah. somebody, we had a client appreciation party last night with a bunch of advertisers. And one of the person, I, I love the show, but I was trying to explain it to me. I said, I don't even know what, what, yeah. it, what it is. And I yeah. go, yeah, I host it. And I don't really know what it yeah. is. Those are the best shows. Those are the best shows. Those are the best people. Those are the best relationships that if, if you can sum something up in a word, I have no interest. Oh. Uh, you know, if you can sum something up in a sentence, I have very little interest. You should have to come to terms with friends, lovers, spouses, radio shows over time. How do you handle social media, which, if anything, is playing a larger role in the deconstruction of any form of, yeah, right. <laughs> of having a context, so to speak? I have zero. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. We have, but I didn't want to say, you're not on social media. No. Why? And then you go, no, I'm on Twitter. How no, come no, you're no, not no. following I have, me? I have zero That's social media footprint. Does um, the show, do you have your producer yeah, tweet stuff yeah, out? Yeah, okay. we have a Facebook and we have, t Rachel and Tony both have Twitter um, and they do stuff. But so I'm, you've obviously made a conscious decision on this. Yeah. What's your reasoning? You know, it. the last time I did it was like 2010, and the darkness was— What did you do, Twitter? Uh, no, that was even—if it was—I think it was pre-Twitter. Um, I think I have a Twitter handle because I got it way back when, but I have literally never sent a tweet. <laughs> um, it was just dark. It was mean. I, I am not tough. I remember back, I don't know if these things still exist, but they used to have these radio flame boards and and message boards, and I was the flavor of the month, and people loved to just shit on me and say how bad I was. Because it's other people in the business yeah. who are jealous of your success. And I was obsessed Hiding with behind I was an anonymous I would name. go read it and, like, change my show based on some anonymous person who's working at Home Depot now. And so social media was bad for me in that way. Um, I can admit it. You know, I don't have a thick skin. Um... I don't, it's not that I can't take constructive criticism from bosses or from listeners, but I have no interest in just reading about myself, good or bad, when it's just cotton candy. Right. It's, I know exactly what you're it's saying. It's just like, I'm bored and I'm going to be shitty to this person. You're, you're next on my list. Fuck you, Dave Glover, blah. I, I just. And yeah. I think a lot of people would hear you say that. I've said it. 
uh, and go, why would you, considering the success you've had and are having and will continue to have, that you are going to even give a shit about that? Yeah. But I recall, and he's talked about it when he's been on our show, uh, I was up at a, a, a New York Giants-Atlanta Falcons playoff game with Joe Buck, and some guy was, uh, it was a blowout game, and the Giants fans were just bored, and they were getting worked over, and they were screaming, Buck sucks, Buck sucks, and he goes, we were flying back, and he goes, how would it have gone if I would have leaned over and flipped him off? I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe you were even thinking about doing that. Right. First off, somebody would have taken a picture. Yeah. God only knows what would have happened from there. And then he goes, that's why I can't handle Twitter. So he yeah. hardly ever tweets. And yeah. here's a guy at the you know top sure. of his profession. Sure. But it's a real thing. So I don't know if it's necessarily a case of thick skin. So as I don't really need the negativity in my life, why spend a set? That's how I've rationalized it. So I barely use it. And if I do, it's more of, hey, we have this person coming up today. Not like, hey, here's my opinion on President right. Trump's tweet this morning. And you know how there's certain people in your life who are insane and if they're like a member of your family you don't have a cho you you have to deal with them but the sooner you figure out oh this person's insane <laughs> i cannot continue to treat them like a sane person because then i'm going to lose my mind i have to work around them <laughs> and that's the way i view social media because it, it is it's just nuts it's cr it's so mean like even like the comment section you can you can go read an article about Chocolate, the most uh, popular of ice cream flavors. And it's just like, fuck Obama, you know? And you're like, how did we get there, you know? And and so I remember back for part of my legal career, I was a divorce attorney. Oh, that had to be pleasant. Oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. It was just like putting on waiters and walking through people's emotional shit. But that's sort of, to me, how social media is. That it just it just draws you in like, porn, you know, and I just, I don't need that to be part of my life. Nobody, obviously, I gather it, it Emma has said, Hey, Dave, we need to start tweeting or we need to start posting or anything. They like did back when I said, I'm done. And they're like, well, your ratings are going to fit. They're going to suffer because you need to be in front of people all the time. And my theory, right or wrong was I'm more worried about burnout. I'm more worried about people being like, oh my God, I cannot take one more Dave Glover anything. So the fact that I'm not constantly in their face on social media, that if you do want what I do, you need to show up either between three and seven or the podcast. Right. Um, and it hasn't hurt. I mean, it hasn't hurt the ratings or the revenues or anything like that. And, you know, and also it was becoming a part-time job. I mean, just keeping up with responding and such, it was becoming like, oh, my God, I'm spending a lot of time on this. Social media has become a huge part of our business. Um, the business is also, of course, changing. How do you see radio in five to ten years? Not necessarily your show, but yeah. as you see the, the landscape change. I hope we have a longer shelf life than print. Uh, but I'm afraid we're heading that same way. And I just look at like my son who's 22 and he, he listens to radio, but not much. Um, he's so what a, does he listen to? He's a podcast guy. Oh, and yeah. He got me into podcasts. Yeah. And so now I have, you know, six or 10 podcasts that I subscribe to. What do you subscribe to? I'm going to totally ADD this, but that's both of our shows. Oh God. <laughs> I love, I love this, uh, horror podcast called knife point. Um, where it's just a guy telling horror stories. I love that. Um, I like stuff I don't agree with. There's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. And he did he, the French fry podcast. It's yes, very popular on yes, our show yes, about McDonald's yes. fries. Yeah, and he's super Revisionist uber history. liberal. I love listening to it. Mm. Um, 
I, I like listening to Alec Baldwin. I think he's kind of stopped doing it. Mark Marin, I've listened to WTF a lot. I pick and choose on Marin. Absolutely, because he makes me nuts. Like, I but his like, guests can be great. His guests can be great, right. but I a little bit of Mark Marin goes a long way. So yeah, I'm pretty much a podcast guy. That's so what it, I'm af- I'm afraid that we might be the last guys out the door to turn off the lights. Yeah, yeah. and I and I but then I wonder if is, is the business shifting to the podcast model. I don't know. I don't because the way I people people have said, well, why don't you just do a podcast? You don't even have to worry about dealing with radio bullshit. Right. And I go, well, cons- let's just say our advertising revenue pie is X. How much of X would come over to only a podcast in 2017? Yeah. And when you come up with whatever answer it is, I assure you, it's less than yeah. what X is. And so, therefore, at this point, from a business standpoint, it's radio. People move slowly, and St. Louis moves at a snail's pace. There's still radio stations in town that have not been successful in the ratings for years and still kill in revenue because people still think they're big. And if you say, like, what's the biggest radio station in town? They'll say it, and you're like, <laughs> not so much. And so when you say, like, okay, I know I've been doing this radio show that you can get on your car, but now I'm doing a podcast. First of all, people my age and older are like, I've heard of it. I don't know what it is. And so I think it's still the next generation, I think, will be more podcasts yeah. than radio. Yeah. Are again, I I will be able to do this hopefully for as long as I want to do it successfully because people my age within 10 years plus or minus are still going to be very radio centric. Do you so. want to continue doing it for a long time? I feel I feel like it's clear the energy is there. You yeah. work with some great people. I mean I the do. people at Emmis for real. Yeah. I mean my god, when I went in there for one of our meetings, I'm like, god, this is like this is what it's like to work with like Yeah, you they're know, cool. I mean, yeah, I go, I, I go back and forth like everyone does where you're like, oh God, um, I, I have another business called Fox Paw, the bone fixing kiosk thing. I'm a, a owner of that part owner. And, uh, you know, if, if that were to sell, like Apple goes, Hey, we'll give you a few million dollars for that. Um, what would you do? Would you keep, would you keep doing the show? I think I would. See, I'd keep doing the show. I think I, I would, would too. Have something like that. I, think, I just love doing it. The well, only thing know, is, I got to get up at whatever. But right. You going to bed at nine? What time are you getting up? If you're going to bed at nine? Well, my daughter. I get up like at six in the morning because my daughter gets get her up and go to school and stuff. And and even if on weekends and stuff, I I the latest I can sleep is like seven. I'm I'm just not a night guy. Yeah. I never have been. When I was young, you're playing in a band. What the hell? You I do? know. I know. When you I was, do matinee show. When I was young and going out. <laughs> It's like midnight. Everyone's like, let's go to Pops. Let's go to PTs. I'm like, let's go to Denny's. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I can't have idle hands. I have to do something. Yeah, and that's then, what I figure. Yeah, that makes me sound a lot more energetic and uh, work-y than I am. But I just get bored super easy. So let me ask you this. As somebody who's been in St. Louis for a long time, what are the best parts about St. Louis and the worst parts about St. Louis, because you just made reference to something that I feel like I've noticed for years. If it's a trend right now in LA or New York, it'll get here maybe in 2020. Yeah. I feel like St. Louis and I've lived here my whole life. I'm from the East side. So to me, where'd you grow up? I grew up in South Roxanna, Illinois, which is like a suburb of Edwardsville. And (laughs) we would go like to Hazelwood for birthdays and shit. So it was, and downtown was like fucking Manhattan. Um, and then I've been, my first job in 1990 as a lawyer was downtown. So I've been downtown one way or another for since then. I feel like we have the biggest inferiority complex in the world. We have so much cool stuff. You name it. 
sports, culture, restaurants. But as soon as someone goes, oh, you're the murder capital, we're like, you're right. We suck. <laughs> you're right. That's all we I do. Fold. We're, we're terrible. Uh-uh. And so I think St. Louis is a gr- Although yesterday I went off on downtown where I'm like, you know, we're down at Union Station yeah. and they have this humiliatingly bullshit like show where fire shoots up and <laughs> Katy Perry plays. <laughs> what is what is that? I don't know. It's our version of look how cool we are. It's just like it's like it's it's, it's like one of your friends trying to pick up a girl by showing her, her his Planet of the Apes card collection, <laughs> and, and you're like. And then I was going down Market Street yesterday, and there's just like a couple of snowmen, like, and I'm like, God damn it, we're better than this. You know, let's try a little bit here. So I think St. Louis is a great place, but I wish we would just get our head out of our ass and be a little more braggy about it and fight back when people say, well, it's murder capital. Like, no, it's fucking like 10 square blocks. Like that is a, that's shitty. Like where these people live, it's horrible. It's like Beirut or something, but it's so small and contained. And yet because of the FBI statistics and the way they do the numbers, it makes it sound like from Chesterfield to Belleville, it's just Right. Fucking escape from New York. Well, when, within the ensuing months after Ferguson, when my wife and I would travel, and they, oh, where are you guys from? Oh, yeah. From St. Louis. Oh, how's everything, you know, at your house? And I'm going, well, I mean, it's 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 not in our neighborhood I know. per se. I know. But that's the perception of the city. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me about this city, and I don't know what others, I've been told San Francisco is like this, which is surprising to me. I can't imagine on the same scale is, is the provincialism. Yeah. And it's not necessarily provincialism, which in a sense, I think, can be a great thing. But then there's a resistance of sorts to an outsider. Like you haven't seen many people who aren't from here be successful in media unless they've been here for a good long while. True. And then it's like, OK, now you got juice. It's very true. Very true. What do you see about the provincialism? I think it's probably it. getting better just by force that, you know, you have so many more people moving in to do different jobs. And and in media, it used to just be, you know, like I grew up watching Dick Ford in the news and it was just, he was here for 100 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was they just never changed. And then back whenever local television decided, you know, what, we didn't hire someone for 25 grand a year, yeah. you know. Fuck it. Let's just right, exactly. let's fire it every, matter. Yeah, yeah, let's fire yeah. everyone and yeah. just hire some kid out of college. Yeah. Um, so now I feel like it's it's less of a thing. Um and I think that was sad. It's not like you can't be great out of college or you can't you don't you have to make hundreds of thousands of dollars to be valid or good in media, but at some point it's like all the stations pinky locked and they're like, Okay, we're all firing our big people, right? Yep, and yep. like, okay, everyone's gone. And then they just started over again. When I started KMOV in 2000, I was 23, and I was looked at like freak boy because I was the only person, maybe even in like 20s. Who were the big guys back then? I was on the anchor desk with Larry Connors and Julius Hunter. Yeah. And I know they looked at me like, what in the (laughs) world is this? And then Julius goes, don't say it. I'm sure you watched me growing up. I don't want to hear it. That's great. But they would go out to dinner, you know, not like they were, like it was Anchorman and they were drinking scotch, scotch, you know, but I mean, I could tell they had, you know, had dinner and, you know, and I'd come back and it was just like, oh my God, I'm sitting here with Julius Hunter and Larry Connors and I'm 23 years old. What in the hell's going on? Now, if you watch the local news, it's like everybody's 23 or 24. Isn't it weird that we're now those guys? I don't think that you and I will ever reach that level of legend because I don't, there were, this is going to sound shitty to them, but I, I, in fact, I said the other day to Jeff Allen, who were Stephen DC's bosses, I'm like, why don't I feel like as big a deal as Stephen DC used to be? 
as big of a star because I've been successful way longer than they were. Um, and he's like, because back then there were so few stars. Yeah. And now everyone's a star. Yeah. And so I don't think that we'll ever be the legends. And I love Larry. He's a good friend of mine that he and Julius and those guys were or Corcoran or and Stephen DC and those guys were back in radio times. But we're now those guys that new people come in. They're like, you know, oh, Mr. Glover, can I, you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I saw an, someone wrote an article about me in Talkers Magazine and it said veteran PM drive. Dave, I'm not like. Jesus, fuck. Like, <laughs> I, I guess that's true. That's the thing. Yeah. Kind of fuck you up. It's but, weird. I mean, to be on the air in the same time slot at the yeah. same station, oh, my it's God. It's unheard of. See, when I when people hear me, if I badmouth the business, it's not. I love doing the show. Love doing the show. We just have dealt with a lot of bullshit off the air with moving stations sure. and random ownership groups here and there and bizarro world ideas yeah. to change formats. I'm envious of what appears to be anyway. Right. Of course, I'm on, on the outside looking in. Stability. And it's so funny. I was I was driving down here this morning thinking about what we're going to talk about, and it's going to sound like I'm I'm jacking you off, but I feel the same way about you. I admire your balls and entrepreneurial spirit, and I feel like a bit of a coward. Uh, I'm very thankful for my career at MS, but I I feel like a bit of a pussy that I've never left, and I think I'm the only one who's never left. Yeah, maybe Ulit, who started on Casey, yeah. and he's still on Casey, but everyone else is like, you got to move out to move up, and 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 all those offers I've had for more money. I've never taken them, partially because I love my job and partially because I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, you know? the entrepreneurial spirit was born out of necessity. So, you sure. know, it's like when Dan Marshall's like, we're going to turn into 590 The Man. I'm like, I better leave here. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not yeah. going to have a radio station. So I'll go start another yeah. radio station. People, I do a lot of public speaking and at times people will introduce me like he's so brave and he was so had such conviction about his uh, creative career that he left the practice of law. I'm like, no, <laughs> it sounds I, good. I, I was about to be this bard. <laughs> I was pictured like a Star Wars when like the the little like escape pod jettisons away before the planet <laughs> yeah. blows up. I'm like, no, that's my whole life. That's has my been, radio career. And yeah. I walked by the conference room at the exact yeah. right moment. So do you have any, do you look back? Sometimes I, you know, I had a chance to go to New York City. He's the lead anchor at SNY in 2007. And that one is the only one. Leaving KMOV, never. Not going to Denver to do TV, never. Do you ever look back on these honestly and go, ah, maybe I should have gone. Maybe I should have gone to Atlanta. Maybe I should go to Seattle. Or maybe I should have gone, who knows, whatever local station. Yeah, I, I do, but it's very fleeting. Like, I'm a big second guesser. I'm a big buyer's remorser. Um, and I'm kind of shocked that I'm not more like that. But I guess... I'm so honest and humble and thankful about the way my career has gone. It's like being in a relationship where you're like, yep, I probably could have nailed a few more chicks, but <laughs> that's how I feel about my career is that, yeah, I, I may have become a big deal in Seattle or Atlanta, or I might've fizzled and come back here with my tail between my legs. legs. Yeah. So I, I don't spend a lot of time second guessing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been incredibly successful. I love the honesty of the show. Thank I mean, you. for real, it's like it's like what you guys do in the afternoon is I, I feel like in a sense what we do yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And Very it's just similar. BSing. You just have a, I, get, I gather a great crew. And yes. You know the, how important being able to work with people that you like Absolutely. and respect is to the whole thing. Yeah. And I think that really is like <sighs> there are parts of my life and deep, dark, sticky secrets that. I'll, I'll never divulge because I'm a human being that's lived, I've ran really fast through life and I've bumped into people and bruised them and been bruised. But on a 
fairly consistent, fairly deep level, I'm very honest mm-hmm. and uh, talk about my family and talk about my kids and talk about my shortcomings, my failings. And I think that buys you a lot of legit credibility. Yeah, it gives you equity. Yeah, because then, you know, the next thing you say that's really stupid or maybe offensive, people go, eh, I'll, I'll and that's, I think that's sad. It's not so much like this morning as we're talking about, Lauer was just fired overnight. Right, right. It, it, I don't think this applies to things like sexual harassment or assault, but I, I wish the world had a little more leeway. <laughs> you know, it's, we're, such, we're living in such a zero tolerance world. I think we're all going to wake up in a few years with this weird hangover like, oh, my God. None of us have jobs. Right. We all got fired for something. Well, and that, so much of that is something that you're not exposed to. And again, the official disclaimer of not sexual harassment, sure. not assault. Yeah. But it's the social media pitchfork mafias that take people down. Yeah. And I hate witness. I hate that. If I had a peeve, that is yeah. that is it. I hate it. Because We're, nuance cannot be provided in 140 or now whatever no, it is, 250 no. characters. And that's why I think it's it's all about the, the short-term appetite. Like... It's the, the equivalent of grabbing a Snickers bar. It feels really good for a few minutes, and then you kind of regret doing it. And I think that's how people feel with taking down people, whether it's on social media, just saying, like, you suck, or it's like, I want that guy fired, or I'm, I'm going to boycott his sponsors. It feels really great at the moment, and then you're like, I kind of miss that guy, yeah, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I, I wish he was, like, Louis, I'm a gigantic fan of Louis C.K. And um, How are you handling that, then, in your mind? You know, I've, I, again, it seems so straightforward to me. Like, you shouldn't jack off in front of people. (laughs) That's one of the few rules you should live by. That being said, um, I really love what he does, and I look forward to his stand-ups. I look forward to his movies and his series and things like that. And I can separate that out. Um... If he were in some leadership position, like, yeah, I don't want you teaching my kids. I don't want you this. I don't want you that. But the fact that someone, I was really disappointed in like Mark Marin and John Stewart to a lesser extent, who really just like distanced himself from Louis. Um, I preferred the way, uh, what's your name? Sarah Silverman? Yes. Said like, I'm disgusted. But he's my friend, mm-hmm. and I love him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's th- that's the more human approach. I yeah. would hope people would be, be like that with me. Do you think these people will ever be, as you mentioned, Matt Lauer's recent, by the time this airs uh, on Monday, God only knows what will have happened. Right. I feel like they're every other day. Do you think these people will ever be welcomed back into their respective arenas? <sighs> I feel like a Louis C.K. is more likely than yeah. Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose. I agree. Yeah, the bigger you are the less chance you're ever going to come back. Someone like a Louis C.K., I can give it a couple years and then come back quietly. Um, But yeah, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer, people like that, they're probably just, they're probably just gone. And you you know, it's it's interesting how, like Louis C.K. came out with this apology. And I said to my son, who's a huge fan as well, I'm like, if anyone can be honest and own this and give an apology, it's Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. And he did it the first day. And I read the apology and I'm like, well, that's about as well as you can do that. And immediately people were like, fuck you. You're right. Like, what a bunch like of part bullshit. of the business of social media now is judging apologies. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ah, I hate it. Yeah. Uh, well, I've enjoyed the hell out of this, man. Good, I really did. I was looking forward to talking to you. I know our audience was looking forward to hearing from you. And you can hear Dave, of course, every day from 3 to 7, Monday through Friday on 97.1 FM Talk. I appreciate it, man. A pleasure, and thanks so much. Thank you, buddy. All right, brother.
So there it is, conversation with Dave Glover. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed talking it over with him. I just love those kinds of conversations. And uh, and I'm fascinated. I, I guess I'm just naturally curious about people's experiences and whether it be in broadcasting or whether it be in sports, politics, entertainment, whatever the case might be, uh, to hear people tell their stories. I find it fascinating. They also get their opinion on a variety of topics. Uh, that was really enjoyable. And uh, as always, uh, here on the Inside STL Podcast Network with Jim Hayes podcast, The Cat Chat, which I would wholeheartedly recommend subscribing to, uh, where you can hear Adam Wainwright, Matt Holliday, Matt Adams, Paul Young, uh, and, uh, and Dan McLaughlin uh, every week. Um, subscribe and, and enjoy what the cat is doing and subscribe and uh, ideally enjoy what I'm doing with the Tim McKernan show. Um, we want your feedback. Email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com, whether it's a guest recommendation or just your feedback on an interview uh, or the show, what you'd like to hear. It's cool. I welcome it. I want to hear it. Um, but we love doing these kinds of conversations. I mean, whether it's, you know, Gary Pinkle, Jack Danforth, John Mazalak, Clay Travis, uh, I'm sure we'll have another one with Derek Gould coming up here soon with Cardinal off-season activity. Um, I know that uh, Keith Kachuk, Marcus Allen, Mike Bush, Lux from 105.7, uh, God, who am I leaving out? Uh, Mike Matheny, Dave Peacock, all these names uh, we've had contact with and are going to have on the show, and so we want to make sure that we continue to bring quality product to you, um, but please make sure... You're supporting our sponsors as we broadcast from the HomeLoanExperts.com studios and also our sponsor, Gateway Buick GMC, which is located at I-270 McDonald Boulevard online at StLouisBuickGMC.com. If you're in the market for a new car, if you're in the market for a used car, or you need to get your car serviced, please make sure that you're doing business with Gateway Buick GMC at I-270 McDonald Boulevard or online at StLouisBuickGMC.com. With 37 service bays to serve you, you're in and you're out, plus they have a concierge service. Nobody does it better than Gateway Buick GMC at I-270 and McDonald Boulevard. So Dave Glover giving his perspective on talking politics in 2017, where radio is going from here. And uh, I thought, you know, the thing that I think when I think back on the interview uh, that stood out most to me, and maybe I'm wrong, two parts, but kind of under the same umbrella. When I asked him who or where you would go, and I assume I can ask the audience the same question, where you feel like you're getting a form of journalism or opinions in which, as Dave described it, they're not always calling it a ball when it comes to a politician, or they're not always calling it a strike when it comes to a politician or political policy. And I don't know. I feel like there were people that I can think of a couple of years ago, but now I feel like they see that there's more money in going the direction of being 100% partisan. And so I truthfully don't know. And then it was interesting along those lines, secondarily, as we talked about Dave's opportunities, not just locally, but nationally, if he could think of another show around the country in which they do discuss politics, but it isn't a right-wing show or it isn't a left-wing show. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know of one. It's not really exactly the arena I'm in at this moment. Uh, it is more of Dave's, and he has had those opportunities around the country, and he couldn't think of one. And I find that sad, really. I think that's the word I would use, sad. 
Um, because I think one of the reasons why Dave has had success is because people feel like, yeah, you don't know where he's necessarily going to come down on a topic. And therefore they feel like it's honest and you can buy in. Uh, and as odd as something that perhaps 20 years ago would have struck you as commonplace, it's now under the category of refreshing. And so I do wonder if that style will come back into play here over the next few years, or if it is actually gone forever because people in our industry can see that there's more money in just lining up with a take, whether it be in sports, screaming about something that they really don't care about, but screaming for effect, or when it comes to politics, just lining up on one side to make sure you have that audience and then hopefully get a gig at whichever network or radio outlet is that's going to hire the hardcore right-wing guy or the hardcore left-wing lady or hardcore left-wing guy or hardcore right-wing lady, whatever the case might be. Uh, I do wonder about that. So I enjoyed that conversation because I do feel like, and I it, it's I know it's perhaps better if you hear people disagreeing. I do, it, I didn't even realize that I just lined up with a lot of where Dave was coming from both, it sounds like in, in a lot of ways politically, but also in the way that we view the radio industry. So I'm curious what you all thought, and I welcome your feedback. Like to hear it, like to get your emails at tmckernan at insidestl.com. If you haven't listened to the past conversations at this point, we have a nice archive to go back on over a couple of months as we enter our third month. Um, and, uh, like I said, whether it be you're in the mood for Missouri football discussion with Gary Pinkle, uh, sports and politics with Clay Travis, uh, politics with Jack Danforth, older woman, Megan Green, uh, at Martin, uh, you want to hear about the Cardinals from John Mazalock. You want to hear about the Rams from Tioka Jackson, Isaac Bruce. I'm talking about the St. Louis version. Uh, it's all there for you on the Inside STL Podcast Network and the Tim McKernan Show and then all of the stuff with Jim Hayes and the Cat Chat. So subscribe to those, and uh, if you could, give them positive reviews because for whatever reason, it apparently helps with some algorithm that I know nothing about. Uh, but uh, that's the way that the podcast world works. We love doing the show. We love to see all of the people who are enjoying it as well. So please give your feedback, and uh, we'll continue to try and churn out some quality product and content and great guests for you. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show for my executive producer, John Seymour. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been the Tim McKernan Show. 